Hi everyone, thanks for listening in today. Today will we'll be a roundtable discussion with industry professionals and college radio alumni from 88.3 FM WBGO in New York, New Jersey. Participants include Simon Rentner, host and producer of the Checkout Podcast, Doug Doyle, the news and sports director at WBGO and iHeartRadio, Greg Bryant, host of Jazz After Hours and co-host of Jazz United Podcast, Brian Delp, host of Midday Jazz, and Michael Bourne, critic at large and host of Blues Break and Singers Unlimited. Topics include developing one's vocation in media and the arts, career legacies, engaging with an audience, and transitions in technology. I hope you enjoy. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining me again. Um, So to begin, like with college radio, let's begin there. How did you all like first decide to join your college radio stations and which college did you go to? Well, I'll go first because I'm an old man. So uh, there, there were horse and buggies on campus and no, uh, but at Penn State, um, I knew early on that I wanted to, to get involved uh, somehow in sports. And, uh, and really, as soon as I got, uh, I got cut the uh, second day before um, the season started at Penn State for the baseball team. And so I decided to start calling the game. So I went right from putting on the uniform to actually um, calling the games uh, for the radio station, got involved with the college station um, and uh, really loved it. So that was early on. So for really three and a half years, I think I was involved in the college station Mm -hmm. and uh, had my own show. Um, Really at that point, it's when I knew that I wanted to do something in the business, because when I started at Penn State, I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I even thought about a music major, but eventually I went to speech communication broadcasting. So um, it was a, a love of sports that got me in. But what's unique about that is I kind of waned on sports and kind of got more interested in news because sports be kind of came. Everything was the same. After each game, you get asked the same questions. The athletes get asked, you know, there's either a win or a lose, what's up next, and what, why happened. So news became actually more interesting to me, and that's why I kind of moved into that. Um, So after Penn State, um, Penn State was one of the reasons that I I came to New Jersey because I got a call from a former Penn Stater who was working uh, in Long Branch, New Jersey, and she called to find find out if there was anybody back in uh, at Penn State that could do sports. And so they recommended me, she contacted me, and then I got involved at a radio station in Long Branch and have been in New Jersey since 1984. College radio, um, a bit different for me. Um, I've been a lifelong um, improvisational music fan um, since before I could remember. And the 24-hour jazz station in Tennessee, where I'm from, the Nashville area, it was about maybe 40 miles down the road in a smaller town called Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Um, The cool thing about that station was that um, its signal was huge. So it was heard in like maybe six counties. So um, when I was a kid, I was getting all of this, you know, um, education from not only my parents' record collection, but the station, WMOT, um, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So 
basically, um, I, I kind of had the bug to, to be involved in radio from a young age. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I got the opportunity to basically go on to Fisk University's radio station and do a jazz show. And that kind of prepared me. Um, I decided to go um, to Middle Tennessee State University and that station that I heard as a child was still active, still 24 hour jazz station. So I auditioned like maybe the second day, uh, freshman year, um, I got the call to come aboard and that's how I started. It was kind of like a, a childhood education enjoyment thing that uh, led me to the path to want to actually be involved. And um, yeah, that's, that's how it happened for me. Everything is by chance in my life. I got into jazz and I, so much so that I started writing for Downbeat in 1969. That's the leading jazz magazine in the world. And the local radio station at Indiana, there's a very professional NPR classical station at Indiana University. It's the biggest music school in the world. And, uh, and so on that station, there was a jazz show in the afternoon and the local jazz jock invited me on every once in a while because I wrote for Downbeat, like what are the hip new sides? And I'd come on and play the hip new sides, I thought. And so he went on vacation and right after my exams, I had nothing else to do. And he said, they called me and they said, would you like to be a DJ and fill in for him? for four weeks while he's on vacation, we'll pay you. I said, you'll pay me to play records. And they said, yes. I said, okay, that was 47 years ago. So I've been doing it ever since. So I learned jazz on the radio. I learned playing jazz on the radio by playing jazz on the radio. I just walked in and back then it was turntables and a microphone and that's all I had to deal with. So all I had to do was cue up records. I knew how to do that and then talk. And I certainly knew how to do that. So I've been doing it ever since. So it wasn't an enthusiasm for jazz radio that got me on the radio. It became my living. I made enough money playing records that I just kept on doing that. I didn't become a professor like I was supposed to. I got a PhD, but I didn't become a professor. I decided I'd rather be a disc jockey. It's a lot more fun. Probably pay just as much. Anyway, there you go. And then, you know, I, the same thing was by chance with WBGO. I just happened to run into Wiley Rollins, the program director, and gave him a cassette. I mean, it wasn't even a special cassette, a demo or anything. It was just something I'd recorded off the air one day. And he called me up and he said, I can use you. And I, you know, I came and I've been used ever since. So I've been used for 35, 36 years going on. I have no vocational thing or any philosophical thing. To me, it was a job in the passion that I have for this music. This music changed my life because I was supposed to be in the theater and I heard jazz. I became enraptured by jazz. 
In fact, Greg the other night played Strange Metal Lark by uh, Dave Brubeck, I think last night. And that's the record that turned me on and to jazz and changed my life, hearing that. And uh, that was terrific. I mean, that's just the way it is. You get a passion for this music and then you have fun talking about it and getting it around to other folks. And that's what we do on WBGO. We get it around the world to other folks. Well, I, uh, I started out in, uh, I see it should be easy for me. I just posted on Facebook about this a week ago because it was a week ago that was my 38th anniversary of starting on air and sitting behind a microphone. Uh, I had taken, I, I started out college. I went to Oklahoma State University. I'm from Oklahoma City. Uh, I started out um, in journalism, basic journalism, and I absolutely loathed it. Ah! <laughs> it was it. so boring. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, and I, it's it's not any, anything against my professors either because I had I had really good instructors and I just it just wasn't grabbing me, and so when I started, um, I I took basic radio production in my in the second half of my freshman year, and when I came back, the following August of 1982, I was offered an audition, to. Uh, uh, for the school's uh, main radio station. We had two different radio stations at Oklahoma State. One off campus was commercial to play rock music. The one on campus was primarily, uh, was the NPR affiliate, uh, KOSU, and they played classical music. Well, that was fine with me because I was a classically trained musician as, uh, a, as a teenager uh, because of my mother who has a degree in music. I took up the violin. I ended up playing it for six years. And I was playing an all-city orchestra when I quit for a variety of reasons, one of which is I had to go to work and, uh, you know, help make money. So uh, by the time I got to college, of course, even though I hadn't been a musician for a number of years, I retained all of the knowledge that I had had of classical music. I grew up listening to jazz music and classical music. I didn't even start listening to rock and roll until I was like 12 or 13. I was a real snob that way. So I sat down in front of my, the man who would become my first boss with that uh, audition script that had all the five basic languages that you have to have. And Michael will back me up on this. Greg too, I don't know if you, have you done classical before, Greg? No, I never did classical, never did okay. classical music. There's about five basic languages you have to be able to pronounce perfectly. You don't necessarily have to understand them, but you have to be able to pronounce German, French, Italian, Spanish, and Russian. And it better be clean and it better be perfect. Well, luckily I could do all that. So I sat down and nailed this script. And I remember Craig Beebe looking at me and said, uh, by the way, he said, that was, that was something. You got the job if you want it. So I went and did two classical shows a week for class credit that first semester. The second semester, I increased my air shifts to 12 hours a week. And two of those shifts were actually engineering morning edition and all things considered. And by that, I mean, you have to hit all of your marks and everything has to be perfect. And you have to, you hit the perfect 30 or 60 second windows in the course of the two most popular public radio programs there are. 
and I'm working for a station that is 100,000 watts of power that actually reaches both Tulsa and Oklahoma City from a distance of 75 miles each way. So I was just hooked on it after that. And by May of 1983, they hired me full time. And that summer I was working 40 hours a week on air, five shows a week, and I've never stopped. I've been doing five shows a week for 37 years. And that has been my main means of support. Like Michael, I thought it'd be a fun way to make a living. And yeah. it certainly has been a fun way to make a living. Yeah. You know, it's never dull. There's always something new. You know, guys like Simon here, they, they put new artists on the air all the time. And that's what we do all the time. There's always something new. And there's always something uh, to present that you think is worthy of presenting. Mm -hmm. Besides the fact that we get to work in public broadcasting and, oh, that's so much better than working in commercial broadcasting. You know what keeps me in it after all these years? The people. It's the people I've gotten to work with, and I've been very fortunate. Because they're all top drawer. And we're all in it for something else. It ain't just the check every two weeks. Mm -hmm. It's something else. It's a, it is, it is kind of a higher calling. I don't want to sound pretentious here, but it is, it is a higher calling when you're doing what you really love doing and you're not doing it in pursuit of dollars, dollars, dollars. So that's where, you know, of course, making a living is nice too, but uh, the fact that we're able to sit here and play music, uh, for the jazz, not just for the entire world, but especially the jazz capital of the world, which is a very discerning audience. You've got to be on your game all the time. And I feel that every single time I turn this computer on these days <laughs> and uh, start doing a show at 8, 8.30 every morning. Mm -hmm. But like Michael, it's a way different world than what we started in, which oh. actually for me, for me, and I don't know about you, Greg, but for me, it was vinyl, strictly vinyl, even though my station did have the first CD player in town because the first CDs were classical music. So uh, it was all vinyl and rotating potentiometers and toggle switches. And I still never gotten over that. You know? <laughs> it's, you know, no matter what the technology is, though, strictly, you know, seriously, the same is same. You're still doing the same job, uh, broadcasting to the same discerning audience, no matter where you are. Although, if Gary Walker were here, and he's absolutely right about this, he told me this, I've been here 25 years now. And he, he said, the problem is going anywhere else he said, and once you've been on air in New York, everything else is Denny's. There's nothing wrong with Denny's. It's delicious and, you know, you, uh, and, and uh, at times, you know, nutritious, but you can find it everywhere. And it's all the same everywhere else. But in New York, it's not. It's different. Can I say one thing about uh, that, what he just said? Sure, yeah. My first time on the air was December 31st, 1984 in, yeah. at WBGO. And the next day is the birthday of Mill Jackson, January 1st. So I played, you know, a whole, almost an hour of Mill Jackson classics with the modern jazz quartet and so forth. And the phone rang and the voice said, this is Bags, thanks for playing my music. Yeah. 
and I realized oh, so lucky. <laughs> I'm playing bags being listened to by bags. I said, I am for real a jazz jock in the jazz capital of the world. My story like that, Michael, is uh, I, I'd been here about a month. So it was also, again, it was about December of 1995. And for some reason or other, I'd been pulled in uh, to do the evening show. I used to, I hosted the Jazz After Hours show, Nancy, for 24 years before I moved to midday. Uh, and I was doing the evening show and the phone rang and this very familiar voice says, hello, hello, is this Brian? <laughs> I said, oh, yes, ma'am. This is Marion McPartland. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she said, this is wonderful. Uh, are you programming this yourself? <laughs> I said, well, yes, ma'am, we all do. If we can't program the shows ourselves, we really don't belong here. <laughs> oh, that's a hit. But, oh, uh, anyway, uh, I had a lot of help, of course, when I was in college. Uh, I started the jazz program every night of the week. It used to be just Saturdays. Um, the station I trained in, KOSU, had been on the air since 1956. So uh, the entire jazz library was all first edition vinyl, floor to ceiling, one wow. entire room. And I got trained by the guy who actually built that library. He was a wonderful man named James C. Stratton professor emeritus of journalism but he didn't hold my distaste for journalism against me <laughs> the thing is i worked with him on his show he had a show on every sunday night called syncopation time uh that ran from nine to midnight and i was the engineer for his show uh the operator for three years uh because james c stratton was in his 80s he had parkinson's disease and his hands shook so much that they couldn't operate but he still was great over the air so I just put him in the booth and ran his show for him. And he would give the last hour of the show to me and let me host it from 11 to midnight. And then automatically every, every Sunday night afterwards, we went to the local Denny's and had coffee <laughs> for an hour where I would sit and smoke. And since he couldn't smoke anymore, he loved to smell it. So <laughs> I would sit there and he would tell me everything. I, I learned firsthand from somebody who had lived all of jazz history firsthand. When Louis Armstrong and all of the cats were coming up in Chicago in the 1930s, James was there because he was a reporter and he saw all of them. Uh, he had spent his entire life going out and hearing jazz music and meeting all of these people. And he told me everything about everything. And I learned basically all my fundamental discography in jazz came directly from him. So I was very, very lucky that way. Yeah. Uh, then I, uh, I did not finish school. I left before graduation and ran off to North Dakota and lived there for 10 years and was the only jazz disc jockey for literally thousands of square miles. But I worked for a network of five transmitters that covered an incredible amount of space, basically parts of three states and two provinces of Canada. And from there, I came here because uh, I knew uh, Cephas Bowles, our late um, CEO and president, and Thurston Briscoe, our former program director. We had many, many, many mutual friends and acquaintances in not only jazz radio, but in the record industry. 
and it was the recommendation of all of those people that brought me out here. Michael will remember that. I flew out here for a job interview in October of 1995 that lasted four days. Yes, I, I vetted you. That's right. Well, you and you and everybody else, dude. <laughs> you know, they, 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 said, they said, all right, let him, in, let him in the studio with you and see what you think. You know, it was like, yeah, he knows. You know, there you go. It was that simple. Much like, you know, I'm sure Greg has done the same thing in the last year. I know Kiana did. So uh, we like to know the people who we, uh, we end up working with for years and years and years. Yeah. It's an odd thing because you were talking about when I started, like I was saying, I, I, I'd never taken a single course in broadcasting. But I also, I've been writing about this music. I've been a journalist for more than 50 years without ever taking one course in journalism. That probably stood you well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in a way, I learned. I've learned by doing, and and, and not by, you know, do, I, I, which is the right way to learn. Or you learn from a mentor, you know. Yeah. And that's the same way in this music too. I absolutely agree, and I, I don't feel I don't want us, Michael and I to take over this conversation here, but frankly, you learn by doing. I had one colleague at KOSU, you know, and he and I have talked about this numerous times. It, Basically, they put you on the air and said, sink or swim. You know, yeah. you know yeah. when you're embarrassing yourself. You know, and, and he said, Brian, you, you always swam. He said, some of, some of us sank, and then we swam. And he said, but yeah, you, you automatically know. And I've, I have trained so many people over the air in the last 38 years. It's unbelievable. And I, I have always told them the same thing. You are going to know within the first three shifts of working on air, whether you have the natural talent for this or not. Hey, if you feel like, and really feel like you don't have the natural talent for it, find something else to do, because this will, this will never make you happy. And if it's something my late dad taught me more than anything else, be happy with what you're gonna do. You know, find some, find the line of work that makes you happy because life's short, boy. That's <laughs> that's his Western Oklahoma thing coming out. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised he lived as long as he did, frankly. <laughs> I see you laughing, Greg. <laughs> well, we're also we're also lucky because, especially the older we are we've gotten to know the musicians. Yes. We've gotten yes. to know the masters of this music. Absolutely. Personally, not just musically. Yeah. And, and so many of them have been friends of WBGO. And, For many years. And, and it's still going on like that. But you know, I mean, when I first came here, Dizzy was a friend of the station and Benny Carter and all, Betty Carter. And you know, I mean, that was, that was the treat of it all. It right. Was, was, we're all, what we do is part of the continuum. Of, of this music, of getting this music across to the world. I mean, we're all involved in this. And, and like, I don't, I don't, I know some people who think as journalists, they think that they're more important than the music or what they write is, as, <laughs> or is that, I know some, I saw some journalists who think that what they write is as important as what they write about. And that's not true. Journalists, broadcasters, all of us, we're plumbing, we get the music out the music is the water and we get that out and around the world can i add something here michael sure you know, the way i always put it is uh you have to subordinate yourself to the music that is of prime importance 
what you're putting out on the air is a hell of a lot more important than who you are. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've taught, I've taught everybody the same thing. Uh, all, all of these years say, pay attention to what you're putting out, you know? Yeah. You, you need to sound great while you're doing it. You need to sound confident. You know, you need to sound relaxed. You need to sound like you're having fun, but what you're putting out over the air is far more important than you. You're minuscule in this whole equation. It does matter who sits in the chair. Yeah. But that person, he or she better be competent as hell. Radio has certainly taken on different styles now too. And so with Simon, you mentioned that you now have a, uh, your podcast, The Checkout. So how has, with like podcasts are definitely becoming much more popular now and they are like, they're, they are relatively new. So how has that been um, it, like, how has that been like creating a podcast from your background with radio? Well, yeah, it's, uh, I came in probably a little, I have a little bit of a different story. What I think is interesting about uh, most of us, uh, besides maybe excluding Doug, sorry, Doug, um, is that we, we, you know, the four of us on the line here have sort of two different narratives that sort of converge our passion for media and our passion for music. Um, I would say that's especially the case for me because I went to Emerson College, which is a you know a world-renowned uh, media school. Mm -hmm. uh, I came in as a transfer student, first uh, attempting to go into their acting conservatory in their theater program as a as a performer, and um, some other personal life experiences happened and realized that. Wow, uh, this might not, might not be such a practical choice, you know, to become an actor um, at the end of the day. And my friends ah! are much more talented <laughs> at that as well. So I just felt, uh, uh, but here I was at Emerson uh, on a film, actually, uh, I was in a film school and then quickly got disgruntled in the film industry uh, because that is really like the collaborative art form where some, you know, unless you're sort of have some kind of what I found nepotistic kind of relationship to people that have power in that area of the world, it's, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be a creative in the film industry. And I quickly realized that, oh, this really freaking sucks. <laughs> and then so I was, but here was a WERS at Emerson, which has this really like nationally recognized, uh, fully funded radio sh uh, station. Um, and here was a, a place where I could actually have control of my narratives. I have full control as, as, a, as a journalist, as a producer. And I come in right on the heels of the sort of digital uh, editing revolution. Um, I come in, I mean, I honestly couldn't have probably timed it better. I was really one of the first or second generation uh, digital editing students at Emerson. So I came out of that school just as much more as a producer than, than somebody that was uh, speaking in the microphone. But I was, you know, writing scripts for Ed Bradley for six, 60 minutes. Uh, initially, were writing scripts for Wynton Marcellus, writing scripts for uh, Marketplace, 
uh, I, I was a freelance producer for WNYC, The Leonard Lopate Show, Soundcheck, um, radio, uh, not Radio Lab, but um, Studio 360 when that was on the air. And then, uh, yeah, I just uh, never thought that I would actually get the opportunity, quite frankly, to be in front of the microphone. Um, and that sort of just happened organically uh, after spending many years at WBGO. Um, so the podcast part of it was really the brainchild of the person that, that invented the show, The Checkout, who sort of invented the original jazz podcast 10 years ago before podcasts were even a thing. And uh, so I really, that, that, uh, that credit really needs to go to Josh Jackson, who's currently the program director at WRTI now. And that's basically it. The rest is history. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm in this really kind of super, I, I feel like I have the most niche job on the face of the planet. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm a jazz podcaster. Mm -hmm. But what, what the lesson in that is that uh, it had to be able to really focus your passion and your skill set to do something extraordinarily niche like I do just awards you massive upside and opportunity in my case to travel the world um, many times over and um, to festivals in almost every hemisphere of the globe and and you know because I can essentially you know I'm of this generation where I was trained to do everything myself including um, you know, so there we are. And now I'm trying to get into video producing and video editing. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother thing that I'm actually, I'm trying to learn now, but it's just, uh, just keeps going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's radio is definitely a, an important aspect of like multimedia. And do you find that this is like for all of you, do you find that radio is often maybe neglected or it's not as seen it's not as um renowned like with especially with like more mo like modern um access to technology like especially with streaming services and video and whatnot i think you should hear from somebody younger than me before <laughs> before we talk that that even includes doug doyle <laughs> so you know or greg or i'll, I'll go I'll, I'll go uh really quickly um I do definitely see a difference. Um, I was born in 1979. So like, I remember LPs. I remember when CDs came on the scene. Um, when I first started in radio, it was awesome to hear people call you up to say, hey, I really enjoyed this thing you played. Can you play that song? Whereas, you know, in the generation we're in now, everybody can be their own DJ. You know, if someone doesn't like to hear us talking, and they just want to hear music, all they have to do is, you know, a streaming service. So there is a difference. There is a difference. I don't think anything can truly beat someone programming music with a perspective, with knowledge. Um, that covers what Simon does, that covers what I do, what Michael does, what Brian does. You know, we have a perspective, and I think that's very important to bring forward at why we're still important, but we would be ignorant to not acknowledge that there is a difference. There's a very different audience that can choose whether they really want to mess with us or not. Mm. 
Nancy, I, as far as as far as on the uh, news end of things, when it comes to radio, uh, you know, it's very uh, obvious that people get their news from other sources now, other than television and radio. You know, they get it either from social media. They may get it from from. Uh, uh, but one thing does remain is local news is still important to people. So that's why uh, the larger commitments to local news will survive in the radio world because people still crave information about their community and their home uh, as compared to they might not be getting all their uh, their national news. They might not be getting their thought process from from radio anymore, but they are still interested in what's happening in and around their community. So there we found that a lot of people who are your age aren't listening to the radio for news, right? We're hoping that eventually you will, but uh, it's, it's something that we have to work on every day is that we, we try to reach out to as many different people on all those different platforms to let them know that maybe they're not getting their news uh, from the radio station, but maybe they are getting some of their news from WBGO.org. Maybe they're getting some of their news from our Facebook page that would connect back to the radio station. And so it is, it, it is certainly different. It's different, like Greg said, on the music end, but it's a whole new ball game in news. A lot of people have predicted the death of radio, and I think we've seen that that's yeah. not going to happen, that it's still <laughs> going to, it's still going to they... survive, but it's going to be, it has to be local and has to be connected to the listener. Frankly, they've been predicting the death of radio since the invention of television, and that was 70 plus years ago. And yet here we are still. And what Greg was saying, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, look, there is, sure, you can go to Pandora, you can go to Spotify, you can do whatever. You know, my wife does it all the time. Uh, but guess what? There is no substitute, as Greg said, for somebody who can sit and make a playlist and with whatever small two minute announcement breaks, draw all of this together and put it into perspective and say, this is what you're listening to. Mm -hmm. That it's not just, you know, the fact that I wanna maintain my career at least for another 10 years before I retire. It's the fact that the people, especially in the last six months have really come forward and said, you don't know how much we appreciate hearing you guys on air that you're that you're still doing what you're doing and keeping us entertained and helping to assuage some of our anxiety in the midst of huge anxiety and, you know i was seriously that's that josh rosenfeld puts these announcements together for us twice a week now and we sit and look and look and read and read you know and take all of that in, into consideration uh it's uh, it has made me feel much better about sitting here in my study and doing what Gary Walker calls robe radio, and <laughs> which has now, of course, you know, has now become at some time, someday, shirtless radio. And I will be going back into robe radio in the next two months, you know. But no matter where you're doing it from, you're still doing it. That's my point, that you're, that you're still making that connection with the audience, no matter where you are. And, that, and that's what radio has always done supremely well. You know, one of the first lessons that you get is that uh, when you're sitting behind this microphone here, you're talking to one person. 
just one person. That's, that's something I've always endeavored to do. I know that, you know, I'm talking to tens of thousands of people every week, or at least tens of thousands of people are hearing me, but I'm only talking to one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's what radio has become since the invention of television. <laughs> so. And people, people talk about that jazz is dead. I mean, they've been saying this for generation after <laughs> generation. And, it, and it's still here because it keeps evolving. And it evolves along with the technology, like Greg was talking about, and, and, and the audience evolving at the same time. And the music is evolving always. And as much as we can enjoy listening to Kamasi Washington, I can still hear Louis Armstrong from the 1920s and be blown away by what he's playing because it's so great and always will be. And that's been true of all the greats of this Amen. music. And then the, the evolution of the, of the technology. When I came to BGO, there were four CDs and the CD rack was a spice rack where you normally put yeah. your oregano. And the very first CD we got was the Glenn Miller Orchestra in a digital mood. I remember. Oh yeah. I remember. But the thing is we have evolved in all these different ways of doing radio and then we started broadcasting around the world. Computers got involved. There were no computers when I started and when I came in. I mean, when I was a kid, computers were the size of a house. But, but, mm. but, but you know, now they're in your pocket. But, but it, it's, it's evolved. When Simon first came in, I still remember the first time I heard him filling in for somebody as a jock. And, and I said to him, and this is no disrespect for him, but it's great respect for him, is I first heard him and I thought, not yet. And then I heard as he got into it more and he started doing the checkout, there it is. And nobody can do this better than him. And it was just amazing to me. And, and he's bringing along another generation of music and audience to us. And we're all getting involved in this. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, I love just playing Red Garland records all day, yeah. but, but, but you know, we got to have somebody playing Thundercat, and he's the cat to do it, and it's, it, it always is good. I mean, you know, Greg and, 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 and all of us, and, and, and Brian and all of us, we, we, we're still playing those John Coltrane records. Oh, yeah. They're always going to be right to the heart of you, <laughs> and, 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 this, and, and all this, I'll tell you the thing that changed for me. The one thing that changed for me is I used to be an actor. So, to me, you know, the audience was, there was a fourth wall. And, you know, because when you're an actor on stage, you're not seeing the audience. You are in the reality of what you're playing. And I came to radio and radio was like that. The mic, I was talking, to, I was performing for the microphone. 9-11 happened. Hmm. That was our greatest hour, you know, because we were one of the few stations left on the air. So many of them were knocked off the air, I mean, they were knocked off the towers. And so we were the news station and, mm. and, and people got news from us. And I'd only go on like a minute and a half every hour to say where to give blood and here's the weather. Yep. And, and I got such a reaction from people saying how much it mattered to them yeah. hearing my voice for 90 seconds. And that's when I realized that we're all in this together. This is an intimate relationship that we have with this audience. They listen to us in their lives and, and, and this music gets into their lives 
with us and through us. And we're together with them, which is what I try to get across during the fun drive. You know, Gary Walker said, we do nothing for the listeners. We do everything with the listeners. It's that preposition that's the difference. True. So all these things have come along and the music keeps coming along and we keep on going because we have a spirit for us. But also, Greg, Greg knows now and, and Brian certainly has known for a long time, where else are we going to go? There's right. nowhere else we can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are other places you can do this, but really? <laughs> I, I, I worked at Sirius for, for a number of years. Yeah, and, right. And at Sirius, I always felt like I was working in a coffin. I'm not kidding. I call the recording booths a coffin because that's what it felt like to me when I went in there. I felt like this. this Greg, are, are, are you working in your closet now, Greg? Yeah, I still am. It's it's okay. the best uh, <laughs> the best compression in my house. Oh, okay, oh, well, that's no, cool. That's a different thing. No. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I mean, I've, just to add to what Michael said about nine eleven in particular, Nancy, the hardest show I've ever done, September twelfth, two thousand one, when I went on air at one a.m. What the hell do you say? Yeah. But you know, the most rewarding show I've ever done, September twelfth, two thousand one, when it was yep. over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That made me feel it made me feel like I was doing something incredibly important. And what did people say again and again and again when they called in before and during the fun drive the last time? The word that kept coming up I'd never seen before companionship. Oh, yeah. So many people are quarantined. They're locked down. They can't go anywhere else. And WBGO was a lifeline to the outside world for so many people. We were the companions of people. This music got people through. They said it again and again and again and again. My my thing at the end of every letter is is you know stay safe, stay sane, and, and stay well. And you know that's what that's what this music does. It keeps you sane, and the radio station is is contributing to that. We're as important as people taking fistfuls of pills nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a lot cheaper than therapy. It's true. <laughs> um, and just in general, what is some advice that you would give to students interested in going to, into the industry, into radio? Like, and what were some of the learning curves that you all encountered in the industry? I don't know. Where are you going to go? <laughs> I mean, except here. I mean, where, where, where are you going to go to do jazz radio? This is where it's being done. And there's very few radio stations still doing it. There's, there's some out, out and about in, in, in the world. But, but, you know, where else you I mean, You learn by doing it wherever it's being done. Mm -hmm. I would say um, advice is always hard. I, I would say uh, be, be scrappy. Um, if you really want to do this, um, investigate all of the avenues. That d means not only learning whatever technology is um, the latest flavor of the day, but um, you're going to hear no a lot. And if you really want to be involved, you will find a place to get in. You just have to have the tenacity to be able to endure. Um, it's, it's, it's not like being, you know, an actor or 
you know, trying to go for a record deal or something, but, you know, it's an insular situation and it rewards high talent. And even if you think you have the talent, a lot of times what's rewarded is the tenacity. So that's what I would say. I would say um, you need to have endurance. You need to be able to learn the technology and um, self-belief. As corny as it sounds, that's what's going to help distinguish you and, and get you through the door. And uh, sorry. And just know that the first work that you're going to do, especially as as you're the announcer or you're the person being heard, is going to suck. I mean. Mm. Um, the learning curve is real, even for those that do have talent. Um, and I'm still like, I would like to think that I'm still 50% of where I want to be. In the field of media, especially now, too, it's a never ending, exhaustive learning process, I find, especially in the age of the, this pandemic. Um, where I'm being called upon to basically reinvent myself on the fly in many respects. Um, so with that said, you know, like I almost equate doing a radio show to having a YouTube channel and hosting that. Um, and also being good at Twitter and writing, writing really, uh, you know, catchy one-line phrases to build an audience because at the end of the day it's all about finding a voice and learning how to deploy that voice to find an audience and that might be the hardest thing because there's this catch-22 thing that happens in order to get an audience you have to have a voice right but you can only have a voice with practice and fostering that voice and being confident in that voice. Because when you first start doing this, like Michael aptly pointed out, I was so self-conscious and not sure of myself. And people can hear that, people can see that. And um, so ultimately uh, you have to live in a, a, little, a, a little state of delusion and denial in the beginning years. I have to really emphasize that um, and just proceed positively, knowing that probably your work kind of sucks. And then, you know, but if you really enjoy what you do and you have a passion for what you do and you work at it hard enough, it will eventually come together. Certainly, I'd imagine in the coronavirus and like transitioning to new technologies and new ways to reach people. What, it's, what has been some insight that you've gained, like all of you, about how to better reach your audience or even like how to continue? Well, I think about all the time whether I should start a YouTube channel, quite frankly, which really like kind of drives me insane. Um, I also think, you know, just what... I'm constantly figuring out what's the best use of my time because the, that's the that's the one lacking feature in all of this is time. Uh, because if I could do everything, you know, at once, it would be amazing. But you know, it's not only about making media too in a weird way. It's also about how you market and brand your own media. 
um, you're, you, you can't just like create content anymore too. You have to sort of put on the marketing ball cap and figure out, oh, how do I get this out there? And that's where social media is sort of the convergence, right? I don't even know if I'm like a broadcaster anymore. Sometimes I think I'm just a glorified marketing person, quite frankly, mm. like uh, trying to prop up, you know, the music that I love and the artists that I love. Um, so it's, it's, it, these are all really huge questions, um, as we, as we move forward and the, the medium evolves. Mm -hmm. Everything evolves, everything evolves like, like Doug, Doug could have pointed out that the news evolves too, because there's all these agendas, there's all this politics out there. Everything is different. And the one thing that's really different is the future. We have no idea what's coming and and the uncertainty of the future is i think the greatest fear and i feel fear out there a lot i feel the fear of the virus certainly but i feel the fear of the election coming up and so much more but it all comes down to uncertainty nothing is going to be the same whenever this gets through and however it gets through nothing is going to be the same when will people start to routinely shake hands again? Mm -hmm. But I mean, the Vanguard, you know, and all, and all these places where people play, when will they be back like that? When will the curtains go up on the theater? I'm from the theater. That was my, that's my other world. And that's completely shut down. When will that come back? We don't know. And we we're not going to know until day by day things happen. And in the meantime, there's a bug out there that's trying to kill all of us. And, and it's a reality that we have to face. And so all these things are changing everything forever. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that certainly in what we do. Look, I mean, just the way we're doing this interview, mm -hmm. it's like we'd never do it in the, the 35 years I was at BGO. We'd never be doing it. People, you're doing it. From, we're all doing this from home. You know, I mean, we, we just don't do that. Like we, I mean, we did not ever do that. And uh, so that's changing and more and more is changing. And yet we're still playing this music, which does keep evolving. And we're still playing the music that this music came from because that music, and we're all playing all of us who, no matter how long we've been on the radio, Greg and Brian and I are still playing records today that we played on the very first show we ever did. And if you think about it, you don't have to think very hard to remember, you know, what artist did you play that very first day? Probably Miles Davis. I knew I played John Coltrane, I played Dave Rubin. I remember, absolutely. And, and that music is always going to get played and it's always going to be important for us to get that music to people. We are the keepers of the music. We're a living museum in so many ways. But it's also what we do and how we do it is also changing. And I mean, you can go to Spotify and you can go to whatever the, one of their names are and shout out, play me some bebop and they'll play, you know, she'll play you some bebop. But it's not the same as listening to the radio. Mm -hmm. It's just not the same. There's a connection there with jocks and people listening. I believe, I believe. It's to have that like personal curator and like almost like a guide, 
like for the musical process. Yeah, I mean, you're hanging out with us. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like developing a style? Like all of you have a background with jazz um, and like you learned it through um, becoming a DJ at the radio stations. But is that something that was expected going into the industry that you would have um, kind of a specialty that you would want to focus on? When you say specialty, do you mean um, specialty of the stuff that we like to play or the way that we present over the microphone? Could you clarify? Yeah, maybe the what you play over the air and like what, like would you um, graduate college thinking I want to go into like jazz and like and to build that repertoire, repertoire? Um, or was it something that like you learned that they needed so you learned how to do it? Honestly, again, it, it's the the fact of being a, a fan of the music. You know, um, before I came here, I was a full-time musician. So it's just kind of like, I don't care the medium that it is, whether I'm on a microphone sharing sounds with someone, whether I'm on Facebook posting about something, or whether I'm on a stage somewhere, I just want to turn people on to this music that I'm endeared with. And I'm lucky that that passion has opened doors for me to be a broadcaster so it wasn't like trying to fill a void although that's what we kind of do it was more of a desire of a passion to be able to turn someone on to something that's meant so much to my life yeah i mean the this the music story side of the story it happens very organically i find like everybody involved in this conversation gets involved with what they do because they're ultimately making micro decisions following their heart and and you know it's it's their background that determines it for me it was uh, a kid growing up in oakland california listening to hip-hop while my parents were classical musicians and I had, I was in acting and I was singing in a bunch of musicals and I always loved the Gershwin musicals the most. And then I realized when I got to Emerson, I was like, cause they sometimes, you know, jokingly refer to jazz as America's classical music, which, you know, you can debate that term, uh, but that's really not the point it sort of did re represent that to me personally in college because it was like, holy shit. Like I can get my hip hop thing and my parents classical thing and sort of tap into those two sensibilities in sort of a way through this music of jazz. It sort of like came, those worlds came together in, in, a, in a completely organic and exciting way for me. And I was like, this is, I'm in, like, uh, this is it. And that's the beauty of jazz too, is like, it's the genre of music that can't really be defined and has so many strains that uh, it, it, it's just music at the end of the day. Hey, this is Nancy. Thanks for listening in today at 91.3 FM WTSR. Remember to check out more content online at WTSR.org, on the air, or on our Spotify and Captivate channels. And as always, we remind you to open your mind.